0: This week on Inside the Ropes, the loneliness and despair of life on the golf tour, with a man who knows it only too well, young Australian pro, Zach Murray, plus a couple who took the men's and women's trophies at one of Australia's most prestigious amateur events in the one day, Cassie Porter and Tyler Duncan. It's that time of the week, let's go
1: you're listening to
2: inside the ropes australia's must listen to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad subscribe now through your favorite podcast app
0: hello everybody welcome to inside the ropes this is episode 229 i'm martin blake media manager for golf australia and we've got a bunch of golf to talk through today zach murray's a terrific young guy who's spoken out publicly about his personal struggles over the last year And the good news is that he's ready to get back on the horse. We'll get back to that world record by a bunch of European tour pros, including our own Minwoo Lee, and we'll cover the Capera Bowl as well. And it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host today for her Inside the Ropes debut. Welcome, Tiffany Cherry.
2: Thanks, Blakey. It's great to be joining you. Love golf, uh, love the podcast, and, yeah, really looking forward to speaking to some great guests on the show.
0: Tiff's a long-time friend of mine, uh, just for the listener's benefit, and a media professional who's going to be a co-host of this show going forward. As you mentioned, loves her golf, knows her stuff. Uh, I should say here that uh, we're about to rebrand Inside the Ropes over the next couple of weeks with Tiff and Mark Allen, the former touring pro and radio star of sorts, coming on board <laughs> as the two front people. I'm going to sit back a little bit. I'll have a role to play, but not quite so up front. Uh, it's not nothing dramatic. We, uh, we'd planned this from the time that Andy Marr and Mark Hayes stepped aside back at the end of June, and we were supposed to be moving into the new Australian Golf Centre with a, a nice spanking new studio to record it, mm. uh, You know, plus have the change of host. But none of that's happened because of the lockdown in Melbourne, but we're, we're getting close. So the studio's on the way at that beautiful building in Sandringham, and we've got Tiff on board so welcome to the family
2: oh thanks Blakey and you're very much uh, still part of the show it's we'll obviously have a few laughs with uh, with Marco joining us and him telling us how good he is and uh you know and, <laughs> and 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 chatting to some fabulous guests so looking forward to yeah really ramping that up
0: well Zach Murray we've got coming on today and I'll tell you what he he's got a great story to tell Zach he's he's been on this program with well, his podcast many times but uh He's not been doing much um, with his golf in the last 12 months because of some mental health issues that uh, we're going to talk through with him. But, uh, you know, I've often said to people, you know, like uh, Tiff, people think that pro golf and pro sports so easy and, you know, uh, money money for nothing, chicks for free kind of thing, but (laughs) it's not.
2: Oh, well, just go and play a game of golf, you know, if you've never played it, you, you pick up a golf club and. And you'll realise how unbelievably hard it is, and it, it is those those mental challenges, and it's not just for the professionals. It's it's for the for the club, you know, the the club member who, or even just the the casual uh, theatre goer who wants to come and have a bit of a hit and understand how difficult it can be. So we've also speak to Jamie Glazier, who's a mental performance coach. he will uh, break down a few of those issues for us and our listeners, and and give us some tips. So looking forward to that.
0: So this week in golf around the world, uh, one thing that took my eye was the European Tour. That they're brilliant with their social media, and they mm. they got four guys to have a crack at the Guinness uh, Book of Records world record for the fastest single hole played in golf. Did you catch that?
2: I loved it, and you know what? My one of my favourite books as a kid was the Guinness Book of Records. I used to pull it out and 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 yes. read it and see. Wow, well, I wonder what I could do one day. I still haven't figured that out, but. I saw this and I was like, what a brilliant idea. So I watched it with uh, absolute enthusiasm and um, and it was outstanding.
0: So they broke the world record. Mm-hmm. They played a par five. I believe it was at Valderrama, with the, the uh, Andalusia Masters. It was, 501 it was par, year, uh yard. A 501-yard par five with Wilco knee neighbour, Nicholas Hojard, whose name I struggle to pronounce, and Sean Crocker from America and Minwoo Lee up on the green, um, look, um, they, they they absolutely bombed it out there. It took them a lot of goes. I'd absolutely recommend this to people. I'm, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube or on the European Tour website, and it's been retweeted. It's gone viral. But after many, many attempts, they ended up doing it in 24 seconds, would you believe, which meant a giant drive, a wedge to the green, and about a six-foot putt which Minwoo Lee actually hold.
2: It was superb. And, and as you said, it took them a few goes. They even put in the drink at one stage. Yeah. Um, and the and the key was after the uh, the drive, they had to um, hit the ball so it sort of stopped short and didn't roll because you've got to wait for the ball to stop before you can hit it again. So it was really a lot of it was about not just hitting it, obviously, strategically and fairly straight, keeping it on the fairway. but Making sure that it, there wasn't that long roll that was it was eating up the uh, the time. But the the world record prior to their attempt was twenty seven point eight eight seconds. So they broke that by th- just over three seconds, as you said, twenty four point seven five. It, it's outstanding. It's definitely worth a a look. Just uh, Google it, and, and it'll come up pretty quickly.
0: Awesome stuff. And speaking of Min Lee, who's obviously been on this podcast a few times as well he finished tied second in that event in Spain behind Matt Fitzpatrick of England and Minwoo is now ranked number six on the European tour with the tour championship in Dubai coming up in a few weeks time so he's gonna he's gonna have some opportunity to play for some big money and uh, I notice uh, Tony Wiebeck has written on the PGA website this morning pga.org.au that Minwoo is up to I think it's 55 in the world rankings, which is very significant because year-end top 50 ranking gets you into the majors, I believe, it's certainly straight into Augusta in April. So he only really needs a couple more good performances and uh, he he will be in there so
2: and now he's got world record holder on his Instagram bio that was the key driver for the four of them to, to smash the world record
0: yeah that, that was pretty cool too so world of the world of golf's been interesting this week uh adam scott finished tied fifth in the cj cup in las vegas uh the big story there was Rory McElroy uh, logging his 20th win on the US PGA tour he was absolutely awesome McElroy uh Ricky Fowler jumped up in that tournament As well, So it was a a great leaderboard and actually it was a terrific tournament and McElroy was just too good on the last day. He's the 38th player to uh, log 20 wins on the US Tour. Greg Norman's the only Australian he has 20. But uh, Rory has ever did a a fantastic interview afterwards, Tiff. He's Mm -hmm. a great speaker and he talks a bit about uh, the, the issues that he had after the Ryder Cup where he didn't play well. Let's have a listen to Rory McElroy talk about that.
3: There was a lot of reflection in the last couple of weeks and, um, you know, this is what I need to do. I just need to, I need to play golf. I need to, I need to simplify it. I need to just be me. I, I think for the last few months, I was maybe trying to be someone else to try to get better. And, you know, I sort of realized that being me is enough and being me, you know, I can, I can do things like this.
0: Cameron Smith also top ten in that event in Vegas. Shot four rounds in the sixties, and uh, Cam Smith's had a month off Tiff and just come straight back in and played really well. Great to see with no mullet.
2: I was about to say there's no mullet. It's...
0: Maybe it's maybe it's turned him around. Uh, Stewie Appleby was uh, tied twelfth on the PGA Champions. Uh, shout out to Todd Sinnott who finished tied twenty-first in the. Japan Open over in Japan. I haven't heard from Todd for a while. Uh, Gabby Ruffles played quite nicely in the mm-hmm. uh, the LET had a team series up in New York. She finished tied twentieth in the individual there, which Charlie Hull from England won. Gabby has no playing rights on any tour, so is reliant on some invitations there. But she's waiting to explode, I think, next year.
2: Gabby's also uh, someone who's on the tutelage of Jamie Glazier as well, a oh. mental performance coach.
0: Well, speaking of Jamie Glazier, uh, we're about to take our first break, Tiff, but we're going to come back with uh, Victorian pro Zach Murray and Jamie Glazier to talk a bit of mental health and golf. Back in a moment.
2: With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes.
0: Welcome back. Well, Zach Murray's one of our favourites here at Inside the Ropes. He's actually been a co-host, I think, on at least one occasion. He's certainly been a guest a few times. and. We hadn't heard from Zach for a little while. There's been a bit going on in his life, to say the least. I think so. Uh, you know, some good stuff and some bad stuff, and he's just about ready to get back on the horse. I think so. Zach Murray, welcome back.
4: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me back, Blakey. I think I was a co-host a few years ago, so I mustn't have been much chopped. So that's uh, <laughs> it's nice to be back. We'll call. Don't call us. We'll call you. That's right. Yeah. No. Thanks for having me on again.
0: Zach, you've had a really interesting time, uh, you know, for if we if we take the, the podcast listeners back to March 2019, you win the New Zealand Open at the Hills and uh, you earn yourself a, a ticket to play on the Asian Tour. Uh, beyond that, you get your your playing rights to play in Europe as well. You go over to Europe in, in, in 2019 and you, you really struggle. Um, COVID comes in in 2020, uh, you end up, I think playing something like uh, seven seven events, made only one cut, COVID kicks in, all the restrictions are there, you're stuck in a hotel room and you really found yourself in a bad place. So you, you've skipped the European Tour this year, which I, I think, you know, there's no doubt, it, it's a big call for a pro golfer to make, yeah?
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately my decision not to go this year, firstly, was, yeah, purely based on how I was mentally at the time like it it obviously wasn't a, a decision based on um how I was playing or, or skill it was more based on a lifestyle choice at the time I really was struggling and um yeah I mean like I was in a really oh I th- I thought I was in a really good spot um after I think after the New Zealand Open last year in 2020, I'd just come off a pretty good result in um, the Rolex Series in, in Abu Dhabi. I finished 20th there and was in the lead for a bit. Um, that was sort of my first big event on the European Tour, and then I went to Mexico and played in the WGC, and and straight from there to New Zealand. So I mean, life was pretty pretty good. Um, but if I really reflect back on it, um, that was sort of the start of where things where the sort of the habits of me as a kid were sort of starting to creep in in terms of um, you know, there was a lot of moving parts during that time and a lot of unknowns that um, yeah as I look back on it I just wasn't um, equipped to to deal with the life of a professional golfer as the fast moving pace as it is um, growing up in a small country town country town um, you know. You, know, you can your life's pretty pretty cruisy, you know, and um there's never really too much to worry about. And um yeah, there was there was a lot going on in, in my mind and I was trying to compete at the highest level at the same time. So that was probably the the catalyst for, for what was um to come.
0: Is loneliness a big part of it? Being away from your friends, being away from your family?
4: Uh oh it is it, it is certainly a part of it, but that probably wasn't the part that was affecting me it was um I started to have um I've always been a bit of an anxious kid and always sort of uh, felt comfortable just worrying about things to make sure that I was safe um and uh I started to have some panic attacks on the course um and and then that started to lead to off the course as well um over a period of time and uh so how
0: does that manifest itself
4: yeah, well, basically, um, like I I think about my health a lot and, and stuff of like that, and there was a lot of thoughts and stuff that were starting to come into my head. And, and I don't particularly exactly know the reason why these panic attacks started to happen, but um, yeah, they started to happen quite frequently over in Europe last year. Um, And I just thought at the time, I didn't know what they were. I just thought I was really anxious or really nervous for not being, not competing in three or four months and being in different environments, which obviously does have an effect to a certain degree. Um, But I really was sort of pushing them aside or fighting them um, because obviously no one wants to feel that way when they're trying to compete and do something that, you know, I've loved doing for for so long and still love doing. Um, And then... Yeah, I, I obviously didn't play that well and and came home and was in hotel quarantine and I remember the drive. I did my hotel quarantine in Sydney and I remember the drive coming back um, to Wodonga and, yeah, I just didn't. I just felt pretty strange, you know. I didn't really know what the feeling was. It was like I'd been, yeah, locked away for so long that I just didn't know what to do in normal day-to-day society stuff. Like I couldn't go to the supermarket on my own without fearing a panic attack and, yeah, they, they were happening in every part of my life um, for the first sort of three months of the year and yeah, your world becomes pretty small. Um, you know, I, I couldn't go down to the golf course and practice on my own, um, you know. Oh, well, I could, but I would, ha- I would probably most likely have a panic attack and it got to the point where I just couldn't, I just didn't want to, yeah, I just had a, so much of a fear of it that I just stopped doing a lot of things that I loved doing, so for me, that was, that was the thing I was struggling with. Like I, for a while I'd, you know, my girlfriends traveled with me and we've been together since high school. So the loneliness factor for me isn't the, the case, you know, because I, I, I wouldn't play professional golf if I didn't get to travel with somebody and be able to share the, the experiences, you know, like I'm a family person and um, I love the game, but for me to, be able to compete at my best to have someone there that I can share the ups and downs with is really key for me, but um, yeah, there was, a, yeah, the last I'm um, you know, I'm a lot a lot better now, and I've worked pretty hard with um, some pretty pretty special people to get me back to this stage, but yeah, it was a pretty, yeah, it was a I don't even know really know how to describe it because it's such a blur, and you really are in a, you feel like you're in a different world when you're dealing with these panic attacks on a daily basis.
2: Zach it's out. Uh, Tiffany, thanks so much for sharing your sh- your story and your journey with us. And um, great to have a chat. Can you take us back to Europe and when obviously COVID had hit was pretty rampant, and the tournament organisers are trying to protect the players from getting sick. So, what was it actually like in terms of when were you allowed out and and when were you were you able to practice? Take us the listeners into your world back then.
4: Yeah, I mean, during those eight weeks while I was over there, like I, I actually really enjoyed it, you know, like I, I had Amy there um, and she was cutting for me and it was my, I mean, it, it's been my dream to play on the European tour since a kid. Like I I still watch it every night. I put it on and, you know, have it on my laptop while I'm going to sleep or I watch it with the family and stuff. So it was a dream to be there. I loved the experience, no doubt about it. Um, but it certainly was something that, for me i just yeah like i went in blind so basically for those during a tournament week you get tested whenever you come in on a monday or tuesday um wait for your result and then yeah i mean once once those um things are out of the way it's it's pretty it's pretty normal golf wise but it's just that um isolation or not being able to live as you like which everyone went through um to some degree during that time um so in in some regards like I was lucky to be still be able to get out there and compete and um keep busy but it was more just uh for me the things that I'd relied on to really enjoy playing professional golf away from home was getting out and seeing the world um getting involved in the place I was at and that's something that. Um, you know, I'd done previously that had, you know, really allowed me to just be me, but being mm. stuck inside probably, um, yeah, for an extended period of time really started to, to wear down on me. So, yeah, I mean, the week, the structure of the week didn't really change in terms of the preparation and, you know, the golf, but it was just all the other things that, um, yeah, I mean, we all haven't been able to do, which is, um yeah, definitely taken taken a toll on a, on a lot of us, you know.
2: You say it manifests in a panic attack. where there are times when you thought this was just too much, and golf, as much as you loved it, it uh, it wasn't for you. you. You you know, you thought that uh, you didn't want to live your life doing, going through the emotional turmoil that you're experiencing.
4: Oh well, yeah. I mean, they're never. Like I'm pretty resilient. Like I mean, I I. I was competing and playing well while dealing with this mm-hmm. you know like i mean mexico um when I, I, I when i played the wgc in mexico i i still remember it like it was yesterday like it was one of the hardest weeks of my life because i just that was at the point where i didn't know what was going on like we're at altitude i got food poisoning throughout the week but like, there was all these things that were going on that you know, like at, at some st- at one stage, I was having a panic attack, which I know now. And like I thought it was because I was at altitude. And like, so I'm for nine holes there, I'm trying to work out what's going wrong with me. You know, like, am I, am I able to breathe properly? You know, like, so me as a worrier, like, I was just in and out of trying to, you know, play the best golf I can to basically trying to survive in some degree. You know, in my mind, that's what I was trying to do. In reality, I was okay. But I was manifesting this, um, you know, on all the worries that I was having, and you know, twelve months later, New South Wales Open for me this year was the point where I said I can't do this anymore. Um, uh, to the to the point where I I need to get myself right because it was three weeks before I was about to go to Europe. Um, you know, everything was organised. I was going to play the Austrian Open. That was my first event going to be, and um. Yeah, I, the last round of the New South Wales Open, I I had a, I had my partner there, mum was there, um, grandma was there. Like, I had such a great um, support team there, but the, the four days of tournament golf, I was just in the fight or flight state every round the whole time. Like, and I was, I think I was maybe a couple of shots off the lead with six or seven holes to go. Like, and I just had five birdies in a row and I was basically, I, I was having a panic, like I was panicking to finish, you know? Um, So it was the combination of being in that fight or flight and the competition nerves. Yeah. Like I finished and I was just exhausted. Like the tension in my shoulders was giving me like a massive headache and I was so dizzy and yeah, it was, it was a horrible feeling. And yeah, like I broke down to to Ames when I finished and I was like, I just, i got to have a spell here, you know, like I don't, yeah, I've got to work this out. Cause yeah, it was, um, it was pretty rough. And I remember dropping my caddy off to the airport and yeah, he knew something was not quite right. And he's now become one of the closest people in my, in my support team. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was sad, you know, because I just didn't, at that point, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and there's so many questions and doubts that go through your mind and yeah, six months later, I obviously know what was going on and, and things are a lot better and I'm able to, yeah, say to myself, bring it on, you know, rather than trying to push it away, you know, but that's taken a long time, Um, well, not a long time because in retrospect it's only six months, so some people go through years trying to work it out and I'm very lucky that I've had the support to help me, but, yeah, it it was pretty rough there for a while.
2: I know um, your girlfriend, Amy, who you mentioned, obviously, is part of your support network, has a psychology degree. But what, for anyone else experiencing what you went through, um, what was the first step you took? What would you recommend? How did you get yourself out of that place to where you are now?
4: Yeah, I started seeing um, a a psychologist down in Melbourne um, that was organised through like Golf Australia and the AIS and, I've always been someone that I've always said that I'll, I'll just, I'll work it out myself, you know, like I'll, I'll get through this. Um, and that's obviously allows me to, to learn and stuff. But for me, it got to the point where I didn't know what was going on. Um, so yeah, I started to see him and every, I think, yeah, we've done about yeah, 12 or 13 sessions since, uh yeah basically may i think it is basically every couple of weeks and um the first session for me like i had a panic attack while i was seeing him like you know like because i was just so worked up about being there and i just couldn't control my emotions at that stage like i just was fearing uh, you know everything so for me those first few sessions I've only done one in person because then Melbourne got locked down and everything's been over zoom but for me it was the first three or four sessions was really breaking down what was going on and, and they were extremely difficult um even in the comfort of my own home over zoom like it was it was really hard um but I knew it was going to be hard you know I knew that it was at a point where like I was already struggling so it was like I need to do something about it and it's really at the crux of it's just been education, um, you know, eliminating the, eliminating the unknown um, to a degree in my mind to allow me to understand, hey, this is what's going on. I know I'm going to be okay, um, you know, going through all the things that I fear, you know, going through all the safety behaviours that I have in my head that, I, that we all put in place day to day, you know, like for me, it was... You know, I couldn't. I couldn't be at home alone. You know, at you know six months ago, like even if, Ames, like, Ames lives five minutes down the road, and I was, I'd walk into home and I'd just be an anxious mess if there was no one home. Um, so all those little safety behaviors that is, that I slowly have to eliminate in my mind to become more self sufficient and be able to, well, basically at the end of the day, live my life how the way I want to live it and not have to rely on people to to be there for me. So. Um, yeah, it's been hard because during that period you have to expose yourself you know you have to go through the you have to live the panic attack and be able to sit there and sit through it because um yeah if you, if, if you if i'm not able to do that i'll forever still fear that it's going to hurt me you know and um so it's it's educating um and it's building your confidence back up slowly and slowly to then be able to get out and expose yourself and and build that confidence, you know, and it's all in, it's all individual and it's all everyone's got to sort of find their own ways to do it. And, but yeah, I think one thing that we all know and and I think having these discussions is that things do, do get better. um, If you can surround yourself with um, some support, you know, and uh, I'm obviously very lucky that I've got, know i get the opportunity to work with some of the best um and i really do have a passion to help people that don't have that opportunity you know because um it's extremely difficult for people who you know i'm I'm lucky that i've got a you know i get 12 sessions that are supported by um you know an institute and being able to help me achieve my goals and for people that don't have that it's um Yeah, it's extremely difficult. So having these discussions, if it can help anyone in any way, is is really crucial.
0: Well, well done for that. Mm. Absolutely well done for speaking out and well done for going and getting help because so many people just let these things roll along. I just wanted to ask you one more thing before we introduce Jamie Glazier to the conversation. Jamie Glazier, mental performance coach, who you're familiar with, but um, are you convinced that you're, you're through it? um are you are you going to be able to to go again i know that you're planning to play this summer in australia and you'll you've still got your european ticket so you'll you're planning to go back next year at some point um how do you know whether you're you're kind of through this
4: i'm convinced i'll get through it 100% i have no doubt um it's more just the timing of it blakey that's the only question that i have in my mind which really at the end of the day i can't I can control it to some degree in terms of what I, what I do and how I expose myself. But um, I think with what I know in myself now and even, you know, that question, you know, like I ask myself that question every day, am I going to be able to get on a plane and go and play at the highest level again? And, yeah, some days I sit here and go, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And then other days I'll you know i could run through a brick wall but that's every that's that's us as humans you know some some days we feel fantastic and do things and other days we don't and for me it's the biggest learning thing is not letting my emotions dictate what i want to do you know and just getting out of bed every day and doing what i need to do and that's for me what is making the biggest difference you know like Ames has just gone back to work um, for the last three or four weeks. So having that safety net in my mind um, and not having her around while everyone's out throughout the day, my brothers are at school, mum and dad are at work, I've had to do things and live my life the way I want to live them on my own. And uh, it's the biggest, it's the most progress I've made in the last six months because I've just had to do it. And sometimes... When you've sort of got your back against the wall, that's when you make the biggest progress with education. Now that I'm educated and I know what's going on, I don't fear it as much. I still like I still don't want to have to deal with it, but I'm getting to the point now where when it does happen, my mind immediately just goes, Bring it on, you know? Like I'm I've just got to, I've got to do it because I have such a drive to get back out and compete. And not only that, but live live a live a life of not in fit, you know, and, uh, but it takes time. I don't like, I, you can, I can say that I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be out there next year, which, yeah, like if I'm being honest, I don't, I don't hundred percent know that, you know, but I'm going to give it, I'm just going to keep plugging away. And I know that if I do that, then I'll get back out there eventually.
0: Jamie Glazer, you've worked with Lucas Herbert, who, you know, a year, maybe 18 months ago, um, uh, was having not not these same issues, but certainly uh, struggling as a young pro out on tour with loneliness and all the things that come with the COVID-19 restrictions. Um, does this sound familiar to you? I mean, people think that pro golf is such a cruisy game, don't they? Oh,
5: look, uh, firstly, um, props to Muz for, uh, for opening up and chatting um, because... Not only is it going to help a lot of young golfers out there, but I think we all know with COVID the last eighteen months how much how much of the unknown and the stress and the anxiety we've all experienced um, triggers these type of elements in all of us. So, uh, and it does. Professional golf is so different to what most people's perception is, and uh, you know we've talked about that with Herbie multiple times. It was only just. Last year, on his way to the Tour Championships in Dubai, he was in the car on the way to the airport, and something just didn't feel right. And he was messaging me saying, "Something just doesn't feel right." I, I you know, he was about to embark on a pretty big year this year, and he just turned around, uh, turned around, went back home, and, and missed missed the uh, the tournament because. It just didn't feel right for him to go, and that was a lot of the separation from friends and family that was about to happen. He'd spent two or three weeks at home, but he just felt like that wasn't enough because he knew this year he was going to spend a majority of it overseas. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's not as easy or as glamorous as what people uh, see it, for sure.
2: Jamie, you've thought uh, the Mental Mastery Clubhouse is Part of your, um, you know, what you do and and your armor, and you've also got a podcast associated with that. Can you take us into your world and how you you're not you're helping jo- not just the professional golfers, the men and the women, but just the the club golfer who you know, also has difficulties, uh, mental obstacles. Most of us do when we get out there and, and
5: play golf. Yeah, look, I think what Muz said, which was really really great, is a lot of us a lot of the stress and the anxiety is triggered around the fear of the unknown. And with the education that Maz got, um, that gave him some tools, some strategies to be able to create a sense of of, of sort of control um, and some tools in his repertoire to be able to manage some of these things. And, you know, the podcast I started a little over 18 months ago are a similar sort of thing to just educate club-level golfers and, and golfers of all levels on giving them some strategies around the mental game and a variety of different concepts, you know, that make up the mental game. And the Mental Mastery Clubhouse is just a new new website, a new membership type of website where people can join, um, learn training courses, uh, create a forum, so a community where we can discuss different elements of the mental game and just, again, help to provide some education and tools and strategies for for golfers of all levels to, uh, to take away that little bit of that fear of the unknown. So can you
2: give us some tools, maybe your, you know, your top two or three tools that, um, that our listeners can take away with them?
5: Well, I think, you know, at, at the club level and, and, and even though it sort of it, it relates a little bit to what Maz spoke about and what he went through, was just, you know, room and space, giving ourselves that room and space to breathe, not being so rigid with our timelines and things like that, um, you know, not not using this one round of golf that we've got right now as the be all and end all but looking at your your golf and your goals as a longer term process uh, i think that is is a really important one and then i think the one the most important thing for me is is helping people to understand how to have an acceptance for negative thoughts you know we have up to 60,000 thoughts a day of which 80% are negative and 95% are repetitive so it's trying to get them to look look at these negative thoughts and let them float by as opposed to looking from the negative thought like we're in that negative thought which triggers the the emotion. So um, the acceptance of, of that cognitive pattern of negative thoughts are just a natural and normal part of our, our, our makeup. and those negative thoughts don't mean anything. They're just a negative thought or just a thought. We've just got to accept it, let it be there, let it float by. And first and foremost, not fight it. And um, I think that's what we can do as humans so much is fight these thoughts, and it's just so tiring, um, and it distracts us away from what we've actually got in front of us. So,
0: Zach, that that sounds familiar to your uh, your "Bring It On" statement, which I mm. love.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, what Jamie's just said there, I, I I love, and I love chatting about this because he's hit the nail right on the head. You know, like with that. Um, you know, we can't like if we can't control everything, but to have just a few strategies during those times where those negative thoughts start to come in of just being able to let them let them go, um is uh yeah, so so cruel. It's been so crucial for me, you know. And but it yeah, like I was at a point there where I just couldn't, you know, like because I had that that fear was so strong. But once you sort of just start to see that that little bit of um You know that that result of saying "bring it on" or, or you know, for me, I went back to work at Drum and Golf for a bit, and they started to come on, you know, a bit. And I I just had to engage with the the customer, you know, and and say, look, I'm not these thoughts or the fear I'm having, just to engage with, um, you know, what with what I'm doing. uh, Like I did that, and it just went away, just like that, you know. And I was like, oh, geez, there you go, you know. So it's just like a few little things that you do just start to change your whole perception of, of it all, you know? And, you know, there was days where I'd walk out of work and like, I'd just be smiling so much because I'm like, geez, like I just, I overcome that on my own. Like I didn't have to call anybody. I didn't have to do anything. Like I just engage with what I'm, what I'm doing. And then, you know, and then we sort of went back into lockdown. <laughs> so it was sort of like it eliminated that, um, engagement a bit and 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 stuff. So I had to sort of find ways to then um, engage myself with being the best person or the best professional golfer that I wanted to be. And and then that sort of brought me back to starting to get back into the practice and, and the gym and stuff. And and then your days just start to float. So it's um yeah, it's just just a bit of time and and a bit of, a bit of dedication, and it starts to starts to pay off.
5: So Jay Sorry, Tiff. No, you go, um, Maz, That 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 bring it on statement. Um, obviously, to me, it sounds like you guys have anchored that. Um, I don't know whether you went through some anchoring processes whereby, when those situations would pop up, you would go through that statement of bring it on, and then that would just revert your mind's attention a- away from the the anxiousness and, and more so into a strategy, a solution um, to cope with that situation.
4: Yeah, I think it was. Um yeah, I mean, we've had some great discussions about it, and I think it's um, it was more being um, intrigued by what was going on. You know, like uh, you know, when I was having them, once I started to learn that, you know, it's just oh, you know, like the, the the feelings that you get are shocking. You know, like the beating heart and the dizziness, and you just can't think straight. Are shocking, but once you sort of, once you learn that, like it doesn't last. Um, you know, it, it you know, it's not going to last forever, and it's not going to hurt you you start to say stuff like i've just sort of said that to myself over the last three weeks like that's that's how recent it's been for me um we did some anchoring techniques in terms of um like breathing and using some key words to um be able to say to myself but the biggest thing for me is that doing things that i sort of um come up with myself and they they work that's sort of like a it obviously does have more power than someone else telling you um, to do it. And, but that comes from, uh, you know, Tony, who I've worked with him prompting me to do that stuff um, and being intrigued in it. And, you know, but he didn't mention that until, you know, our sort of seventh or eighth session, because like there's no way I can be intrigued in a panic attack when I really fear it that much, you know, like I'm just, I'm not going to sit there, and not know what's going on and go oh geez like this is pretty cool you know like so I wasn't at that stage then but you get to that stage where you just you go right I know what's going on bring it on and then it just like it just doesn't just doesn't hit you as hard you know like you might feel a bit average because you're a little on edge still um but I know that I'll get to the point in time where um or back to you know where I where I was before but I even say to myself, Well, I'm not going back. I'm actually going forward because I'm not the same person anymore. Like I've learned so much. So um, yeah, it's uh it's certainly those little keywords and and how you talk to yourself are, are so critical.
0: Who knows, Zach? Like you might come out of this, you know, a better player, better golfer, better person. Oh,
4: yeah, I a hundred percent think so as well, because like I obviously we've all had so much time to reflect and and I even though I've had um, some great success and I've got, you know, um, a card on a, on a, ma- on, on, you know, on a major tour, I still think to some degree with how my mind works, I've probably held myself back. Um, just, just with how I talk to myself sometimes and then we all do, but, um, yeah, like what I've gone through, like, I've really had to be in tune with, um, that internal voice that you have and, uh, and not letting that dictate what you want to do. Um, so, yeah, it's it's certainly given me a lot, um, a lot of, a lot of tools to be able to use on the course, um, and be able to give myself the best opportunity to play play well week in and week out, and and deal with the adversity as well. So, yeah, I when you know I have no doubt whatever I do, um, yeah, like it'll it'll be beneficial for me.
0: And you've got the Cameron Smith mullet going there as well, which is nice.
4: <laughs> I, I do have the Cameron Smith mullet, but I. Uh, I will say that I did have one before he did. So you don't you have just you have to look back through you? the archives. Well, no, well I can't paint it because I think um I actually dad had a mullet on his on his wedding day and I glanced at the photo about three years ago and I thought, geez, that's pretty that's not bad. I might have to go one of those. And <laughs> um it's sort of been been stuck with me ever since. So um I think there's a bit of um samson and delilah sort of power sort of stuff going on back there i think so i'll just i'll leave it
0: that's outstanding to see you smiling zach after what you've you've been through uh thanks very much for joining us on the program and congratulations again for speaking out and all the best for when you get out on the course uh thank you zach
2: yeah thanks zach
4: no thanks for having me on thanks guys
0: and jamie thanks for your contribution as well it's uh very valued thank you very much
5: my pleasure guys thanks again
0: We'll be back with more on Inside the Ropes after this break.
5: With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. There was a very cool story the other day, Tiff, uh, from the Capera Bowl, which is one of the most prestigious amateur events in Australian golf, a four-round stroke event, which this year was reduced to three uh, because of weather interruption, I think, on the second day. But it turned into a great story because... Cassie Porter from Parisian Golf Club uh, won the women's event. Then um, I think she picked up four shots on the last four holes mm-hmm. to win, win the 54 hole women's event, which uh, continues a great comeback for Cassie from uh, a bad back injury. But she then put her clubs away and walked across and watched her boyfriend, Tyler Duncan, win the men's event in a playoff. So boyfriend and girlfriend won the Capera bowl. So, Cassie Porter and Tyler Duncan, welcome to Inside the Rope. <laughs>
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having us, guys.
2: <laughs> I just want to ask, how were the celebrations? Forget for that. The actual
1: uh, the actual rounds of golf. Actually, we um, we went to Chinese of all places to celebrate, um, and we both got food poisoning. So that was a <laughs> oh. <expression laughs> well, your good luck. Your good luck <laughs> had to end some stage. I know. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Boys, exactly. That's really quick.
0: Uh, was it was it a surprise that that happened? I know, Cassie, you were in a bit of form, but uh, Tyler, you might have come from the clouds a little bit with that one.
3: Um, yeah, you know, leading up to it, obviously the first tournament rough, um, I think it was a bit of a foreign feeling playing tournament golf again, to be honest. Um, and the second tournament back showed a little bit more form, started playing a bit more golf, um, where I'd like it to be, had a few... Uh, touch-ups with the coach, um, and then going into prepare it felt really good. Um, and then, obviously, things started panning out the way I'd liked it to have. Um, yeah, and then, obviously, the second and third day, um, and I started playing some really decent golf and put my name up there. And, yeah, you know, three player falls later and I'm there.
2: Were you feeding off each other? Did you, you know, obviously, did you speak about dissect each round of golf and and give each other some tips as you went along?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, we both obviously um, the car ride to Capera every morning was roughly 45 minutes. So we had um, a good time to chat about the day uh, and the storms coming, I guess. Like we both said to each other, it's probably the weather delays um, are probably the best thing for us to rattle the whole field, you know, like because... You know, stopping in the middle of the round with a bit of momentum is quite shaking, I guess. Um, so that probably helped us in a way um, that we we moved up the leaderboard um, while the storms kind of uh, rattled everyone else, which is good. But
0: Tyler, uh, how did you two get together? How long ago? And do you have any rules around? You know, do you play golf together? Do you practice together, or do you kind of keep the golf part of your life separate? How do you how do you kind of handle all that?
3: um so we've been together for about two and a half years now um we're about an hour hour and a half away from each other so you know when we are together we're both super competitive and stubborn people so (laughs) you know when we are playing or practicing there's always a bet on the line who's buying lunch who wins you know um there's not a moment that goes by when we're you know when we're practicing or playing together that there's not something on the line
0: it's a bit of match play happening.
3: Yeah, a bit of match play, stroke play, um, you know, kicking dirt in each other's faces. Any shots given? <laughs> um, no, not really, actually. It's a pretty even playing field, you know.
2: And does it extend to anything beyond the golf course? Is a is competitive streak in everything that you
3: do? 100%. Everything's a competition.
0: Uh, Tyler, you did say the other day to me when I called you that uh, you were very proud of Cassie with her win uh, cassie you've you've had a really rough time haven't you uh, leading up to this with with a back injury that really crueled you last year just for the <laughs> listeners benefit cassie was you know one of australia's leading junior players um and now at 19 you're really in the second phase of your career aren't you because you you had at what was diagnosed as a stress fracture um uh, yeah in 2019 and it kind of wiped you out uh for a year really didn't it
1: yeah, it did. Look, I um at the start of 2019 I sort of decided to oh it was it 2020, I'm not sure. Probably 2020. I decided to take a month anyway because I was finishing my studies. Um and then yeah, I got diagnosed with a stress fracture. So a month turned into 18 months, <laughs> which was a little bit unfortunate. Um but look, yeah, it, I, I definitely learned something from it. You know, I was 17 and thought I was untouchable. So I definitely know that I need um, to look after myself.
0: Are you over the back injury? I know that uh, there's some sort of debate about whether it actually is a stress fracture now, but um, is it gone now? Are you having any problems with it, any issues with
1: it? No, so I, uh, look, I'm I'm fine pain-wise. The stress fracture is still there. The scans do show it, um, but the pain Turns out the pain actually wasn't coming from my back. It was coming from tight glutes and hammies. So, um, yeah, we treated the stretch fracture while it was something else, which probably didn't help, but we're on the right track now. I see.
2: My background is a former physio and I've treated uh, a lot of younger um, sports people, especially in golf and cricket, um, with, with back stress fractures. Did you have to learn how to, you know, to... Do you swing again? Did you have to break that down to is that as part of your rehab? Um, was it, you know, your swing and and the style um, causing significant stress on a certain part of your back?
1: Uh, yes and no. Um, my swing is obviously there's a lot of movement in my swing because I'm quite flexible. Um, that didn't help, but the main reason was because I didn't have enough strength um, to support it. So how we've overcome that is pretty much just getting me stronger so I can support the movement. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty much all I needed to do, but obviously that um, entails a lot of hard work.
2: And as part of that strength, that would have no doubt enhanced your for uh, Obviously, you're probably driving a lot longer.
1: Yeah no it's funny coming back and playing different courses you know I played them three years ago but now all my clubs are going so much longer and it's kind of like a big big shock to the system you know you you suddenly got 80 meters instead of 150 in so it's like yeah no it's it's pretty special.
0: Tyler what's next for you and I'll ask Cassie that as well but first of all Tyler I think you're thinking about heading to tour school soon?
3: Uh, Yeah, obviously in the near future, towards the end of the year, we're looking at uh, events like Tassie Am and Port Phillip. Obviously, it's dependent on what the borders are doing. Um, If they open up, um, then we see a little bit further on, Cass and I are thinking of going over to the States, um, do the amateur circuit over there, and then if all things pan out, go Corn Ferry, um, try and make the pro ranks over there because essentially that's where you want to be, right, if you want to improve your golf. Um, so hopefully that, that that'd be the perfect scenario.
0: And uh, stay away from dodgy Chinese restaurants, Cassie. <laughs> uh, I think you uh, might be playing in the Asia Pacific Amateur in the United Arab, Arab Emirates. Maybe if you can get there.
1: Yeah. If I the question is if I can get back at this stage, um, getting there is all good. Just getting back is a little uh, difficult. Um, but yeah, so I am invited. But we've just got to see. Uh, with all the restrictions and COVID, throwing a big spanner in the works, whether I can go and come back with no issues.
2: And, guys, we just spoke to Zach Murray about uh, some of his mental health issues and and panic attacks that he's experienced, so, and a lot of that's brought on by COVID. Did you find any um, issues with COVID yourself that you've had to overcome, you know, with uh, obviously the isolation and, and, and the parameters of which you could and couldn't play
1: golf? I'll let you go first, Ty.
3: Yeah. um, Look, a lot of the planning towards tournaments was obviously dictated by COVID. Um, Events like Master of the Am for us, we had to account for potential quarantine risks and, you know, an excess amount of money that at the end of the day, we really just didn't have and we couldn't take the risk. Um, So it made planning an absolute nightmare. So you know, I can understand where Zach's coming from, definitely. It just does throw a spanner in the works and makes things 10 times dif- more difficult than what it needs to be. But, yeah.
2: Yeah. And and Cassie, you had the back injury, obviously, to also overcome.
1: Yeah. Uh Yeah, too. Like COVID and the back injury on top of each other do, um, does take a toll, I guess. Um, but, you know, you surround yourself with people that you love and that will support you and you get through it. I mean, COVID... If we can get through COVID, we can get
2: through anything, right?
1: Mm, Absolutely.
0: Well, you guys are great, Uh, two of the best young talents in Australia. And uh, I think I wrote the other day something about a triumph for love or something, Tiff, (laughs) romantic. But uh, as I said, just keep (laughs) away from those pick your right restaurants. Guys, thanks for joining us on Insight. Bring
2: your own food next time you win. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
3: Thanks thanks for
0: coming on, guys.
1: Yeah. Thanks Thanks much for having us. Thanks
3: for having us.
0: We'll be back with more on Inside the Ropes in just a moment.
1: With Australian Golf
2: Media, you're back Inside the Ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Tiff, uh, what have you got planned for this year with Inside the Ropes? Have you thought much about that yet as a, a kind of a co-host with Marco?
2: Yeah, absolutely. would love to. Um, so, a little segment called Cherry Pit uh, cool. where we'd love okay. to really get into um, I- into the heads of of some celebrities, you know, who love their golf. We know a lot of a lot of our sports stars, both Australia and globally, um, love golf and a lot of them are they good do. at it, which is so frustrating. They're, Isn't that annoying? They're great at everything. Um, so, you know, I'd love to um, yeah, to profile a number of different celebrities. We've got Ash Barty in our sites and obviously a number of, you know, footballers from different codes and and uh, males and females as well. Um, but even just some of the individual sports, you know, golf is a great um a great exercise a great leisurely time to you know to just sort of sit there and be with your own thoughts and to de-stress from your from your day job whatever that might be so um we'll be looking at that and and also Marco with his uh, golf tips everyone loves a golf tip so he'll certainly be um be be dropping a golf tip in for every week and I think we all need golf golf tips don't we
0: well, they Marco, certainly Martin. don't need any from me. That's one thing I'd, I'd have to say. Yeah. But Marco is one of the best coaches around. So, uh, yeah. Last and, segment, and, go go on.
2: Oh, and and also just you know, I think from a, with my medical background, just um, really getting a bit bit of an insight too into some of the issues that pop up, um, not just within with the professionals, but with the, the amateurs. You know, A lot of people are taking up golf or taking up sport as on the back of COVID So, and finding it there, sort of breaking down a little bit because they're not conditioned properly. So trying to give them a few tips um, in those areas as well.
0: Uh-huh. So since we spoke on the podcast last week, the Australian Opens, both men's and women have been cancelled. Uh, a big decision mm-hmm. there made by Golf Australia. Uh, I didn't want to say too much about it uh, other than, there's been some criticism of Golf Australia for making the call. Um, I think most of the criticism comes from a place where um, there's a little lack of information. There, it's all very well for people to say, as they have, that um, you know you should just have a, an Australian Open for for local players. I mean, that uh, that is obviously something that you could do. You can just put an event on. Wherever you like, if you, you know, you can and call it the Australian Open. But you do, you do have to go back to your sponsors and your television mm. network and tell them uh, that it's going to be a compromised field, and that can be a, a very difficult conversation. I mean, uh, the, it's expensive to run yeah. the Australian Open, both Incredible. men's and women's, and uh, you know, you need you need money to cover it. Golf Australia is not in a position to put. The the sport at risk. Where you know there's not a lot of money in Australian golf. There is no television money in Australian golf. I think the, I looked at the budget of Golf Australia once and it was roughly one tenth or a bit less than Cricket Australia, for instance. Uh, it it makes a hell of a difference. So uh, apart from that, you know you you've got to got to have a venue. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, no. Historically, it's it's hard enough getting top international golfers to golf events because of scheduling. And and you add on top of that potential quarantine or in some capacity, it just makes for you know a really difficult um, ingredients to put an event on. And on top of the other aspects that you've just said, and and you can't be losing money for events because you've got to look at strategically. You've got to look at the long term future of the sport.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know what? What I'm guessing, Golf Australia. I'm an employee of Golf Australia, but I'm guessing they're, they're considering that it that, that needs to have a pause, just as the Australian Grand Prix, for instance, is, has been stopped for the last two years, and the Tour Down Unders, another international event in cycling that they've had to, to call off because they can't get people in. Now, the New South Wales Premier, the new Premier, announced the day after we announced the pausing of the, the opens that quarantine would not be required for vaccinated people in new south wales and a few people jumped all over that but it's really too late i mean the venue is an issue the australian open men was to be at the australian but my understanding is that the australian uh, did not want it when it was put back to february they did not want it they didn't feel that they could present the course in the best way that they wanted to or in the best light and i also think that um Golf Australia with, with their discussions with it. It's a really hard decision, but I think that they feel like if they did run an event that was very uh, a pale imitation of an Australian Open, is that really what, what we want? It may actually damage the reputation yes. of the tournament more than not having it at all. So yeah. we are off for this year, and the Women's Open, there was probably never any chance that that could happen in Adelaide next year because the LPGA... Players just will not come through quarantine. And without them, uh, there really aren't enough top quality Australian players to make a field. There literally aren't enough uh, to make a a field of that quality. So that was never going to happen. So difficult week in that way, but um, the decision's been made and we'll be back at Victoria about next November, December, uh, Victoria Golf Club in Melbourne, and uh, bigger bigger and better, we would hope.
2: Absolutely. It'll make us... Yeah, it'll make us more hungry, you know, for the, for those big tournaments. And then we can also uh, focus on the state-based tournaments and championships and, and give them a little bit more publicity.
0: Well, on that point, the uh, Webex Players Series dates were announced this week by the PGA. Uh, Australian PGA Tour are, are still chipping away there. They've still got the Australian PGA at Royal Queensland on, on the, uh, the schedule for this summer. And... The Players' Series are really popular last year, obviously mixed event with uh, amateurs and pros and women and men. So 3 to 6 February at Rosebud Country Club, which is down on the Mornington Peninsula, beautiful course. 3 to 6 March at Bonny Doon in Sydney, another great, great course. They hosted an event last year, which went really well. And the new one is 10 to 13 March at Oaks Cypress Lakes up in the Hunter Valley. Uh, that's that's uh, the Hunter Valley version of that. So uh, there there is golf to watch. It's just not, uh, I guess it's not at the absolute uh, level that, that the Australian Open, the Women's Australian Open are, but certainly the PGA will be a terrific event once they get it going. And these players' series of events are a lot of fun.
2: And we've experienced that across different sports, haven't we, anyway, through COVID. So it's just giving us a different skew and a different experience. And we take the... Then we- you take the best out of that and and use it moving forward just on the mixed events. I played in the Victorian PGA championships earlier this year at Moona Links and had an absolute ball. Uh, My partner was Andrew Dott, who ended up, uh, I think he finished tied for 18th and then played again in the top 10 the following week. Um, But it was such a brilliant experience. And also to play four rounds of golf um, back to back to back to back. Mm. I was buggered after the second um, the second round, I'd swear they needed a stretcher for the for the final. And it, you know, some of the the weather was uh, windy and raining at different times. All the, the experiences that you go through on the sandbelt, um, but it really was a magnificent magnificent experience. And you know, hats off to the organisers um, for those those type of of events because it really gives the, the club player, the amateur player, uh, a real insight into you know into uh, the experience of a professional
0: couple more things um what do you think about this tiff i wrote a column earlier this year where i said it's time to ditch the l word which is ladies in golf so uh women's golf has kind of traditionally been referred to as ladies golf and and lady golfers are mentioned and the, it's the lady president of the golf club and this is stuff and to me it's archaic sort of language it's not going to solve the problems of the world if they if people do change this but I do think language is important, so I wrote mm. that column saying that we we need to refer to women golfers as women, not not ladies. Um, my club in Melbourne, Yarra Yarra, has done it. They've oh, come well out, and changed it um, at their annual general meeting the other day. They announced that they did it. I know a few others have done it, and some were probably already doing it. What do you do? You think that matters from your point of view?
2: I think it does, and you know it's it's been um, a component of community that I've. Um, that I've learnt about over the you know over the past few years and um you know diversity is a is a really um you know big component of of our community and, and whatever sector we're in and um and ladies is not really an inclusive word and uh you know and I think and women is um and and when you're using language that traditionalists some people might say well what's you know what does it matter it's just a word but for some people, it really does matter and it may not matter to you, but you have to put yourself in other people's shoes. And and you've got to understand that, you know, language can have a really big impact. And I think it's uh, hats off to Yarra Yarra and, and it, all the other clubs that follow suit or have already done it because we want to be inclusive and we want to not make sure that people, as, as far as golf is concerned, is there for everyone.
0: Greg Longmore is a, an interesting guy out of Tassie, a, a state-level amateur player who uh, we had on the on the podcast last year it was one of the best interviews that we did all year uh, greg longmore was seriously burnt in a distillery fire in, in tasmania and he was making his way back to the game after recovering from you know horrific burns so there was a great fundraising campaign for him i just wanted to throw in that he made the final of the launceston golf club championship last weekend and uh uh thanks very much for the to uh you know my friends down in Tassie for letting me letting me know about that. He lost the final, unfortunately, to Mitch Van Noord of the, the same club, of course, but um it went to the 36th hole. So well done to Greg yeah. Longmore. And uh, I had one nice. more thing, Tiff, um, that I wanted to mention, which was the very sad passing of Renton Laidlaw. I never I'm not sure whether you ever met Renton. I'm sure no. as a broadcaster you'd be familiar with him. He's one of the one of the better Better known voices and faces in in golf commentary, but uh, on top of that, just a, a great friend to Australia. He used to come down, and he was part of Channel 7's coverage pretty much every year for you know through the '80s and '90s. That period of time, uh, he has many great friends here. Uh, he was 82. He actually uh, had a long illness, but he got COVID in the end. Unfortunately, he was in Scotland and uh, he passed away. So there's been a lot of uh, outpouring of grief about Renton, who's just a, a lovely person. Uh, Tiff, uh, that's about all from me. Uh, any Anything more from you as you prepare for this uh, next phase of your career?
2: <laughs> i tell you what, I've been, every day we talk about you know, routine being so important through COVID. So part of that, my routine was going out for a walk, taking the dog for a walk, taking my six-year-old daughter out for a walk. and uh, often we would go past the Albert Park driving range and just the ping of balls in the last couple of weeks has just been music to my ears and uh, and I cannot wait to get out there and hit some golf balls. I haven't actually in the last couple of weeks. I've just had too much going on, but I will be this week and, there, and I also can't wait then to get out and um, obviously play a couple of rounds with some friends. But also with the Queensland Borders opening, uh, my dad lives on a golf course up in the place called Bagara, sunny Queensland, uh, which is uh, just about 20 k's coastal to Bundaberg. And and I'm praying that I'll be able to get up there now for Christmas and and play our traditional round of golf, um, our Christmas round. So that's, that's in the horizon. It's in my sights.
0: What could be better than playing golf with your dad? Tiff, uh, thanks for your contribution today and great to have you on board.
2: Thanks, Blakey. Really looking forward to uh, the coming weeks and months, and yeah, and having a good, good, fun time on the podcast.
0: Make sure you subscribe through the usual channels, and uh, we'll be back here next week with more Aussie golf news on Inside the Ropes.